morning, North River. It's great to see everybody. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. It was great seeing Tom Blacks up here singing, amen. I used to see Tom in Queens. You know, it's interesting. It's sort of like old Tomber's day, you know, you, 20 years ago, you know, he was much more athletic when he sang that song. You know, he, 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 that foot would come off the ground and you'd hear that thing. Hey. Now it just kind of triggers. You, know, you got to make sure every you know, little bit there. So, Tom, but I appreciate it, bro. It was a great song. And uh, I just love Tom Blacks. It's just great, too. I feel the same way with the arthritis, bro. Amen. We're in there together. So it's all good. As long as our heart for the Lord is still fired up and zealous, we've got places to go and things to do. Amen. I just want to thank the brothers. I want to thank Tom Brown and Jeff Hickman. Uh, the elders, uh, Ross, John, and Ken, and my brother from another mother, Bob Keene. Just that, that brother right there gets it. I mean, he is just a phenomenal brother. Uh, all of them are incredible brothers. And I'll be candid with you, I'm humbled by this opportunity. Uh, I didn't think that this would happen. Uh, when I came out of ministry in 2001, uh, after shortly before 9-11, I just simply was just trying to get back on my feet uh, and just try to raise my family and take care of my kids. Relocated here to Atlanta without a job, came to the Atlanta church. Shortly thereafter, we had our issues in 2003. And so it's sort of been a pent-up minister for many years that has really worked in a secular world to try to reinvent myself, give back to the community by coaching football and things of that nature, and just try to re-engage myself in a different way. But, you know, a year ago when we came to North River, we were still in that process trying to heal and just trying to recover and try to do well spiritually. Uh, I didn't ask to do this. I'm just really grateful that God and humble that God has <clears throat> given me the chance to just sort of rekindle my dreams again and uh, really do some great things for God. And it's been a process over the year of just getting with different brothers, you know, getting with Jeff, getting with Tom, getting with Bob, uh, getting with Jim Long, getting with this one, getting with that one, spending time with the Channers or the or, or, or whoever. I mean, it just just it's been a, a just a fanning into the flames, just sort of a, a revival, if you will, of my spirituality. And so now the content that I have, I feel like it's sort of a, a, a accumulation of all these thoughts of my vision and dream in God's kingdom when I became a disciple, and also where we are in our lives right now. And so I think it's really important as we talk today that it's not going to be an expository type sermon. It's going to be a sermon with lots of content, flipping through lots of different scriptures, an accumulation of different things. God's going to say some things. I pray through the spirit that will inspire us and challenge us and help us to reflect on who we need to be before him. You know, a lot of my conviction comes from how I was birthed in Christ. And uh, the way I feel like I have a uncanny advantage over most Christians to a degree of how I was birthed and what I mean by that is I was converted by an Italian an Hispanic a West Indian a Filipino was in there an African-American was in there whites I mean I had a full gamut of all nations of people that inspired me to become a Christian so I have this ideal of what the kingdom of God should look like on a real deep level are you with me here one of the things my wife and I talk about a lot in our marriage, we were married, you know, successfully, not without our challenges, you know, for 22 years, soon to be, okay? And the thing about that is, the thing that we really work hard at in our marriage, and we're two passionate people, 
Mama Knight can be passionate, amen? And Kendall Knight is passionate, amen? But the thing that we really try to work at is that there are no unhidden stones in our lives, that there's no truces in our lives, that we can talk about anything. And we can talk about it passionately, we can talk about it with deep convictions, and you know what? We can also say, you know what? It's okay to agree to disagree, amen? But there has to be depth in a successful marriage, and there has to be depth in a successful church. In Acts chapter 2, I told you John 17, I want to read this this verse first, because I think it sets up everything for us. In Acts chapter 2 here, you can just listen to this verse, in verse 5. Now there was standing in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? And it goes on to say who was there, including an Arab. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, of course, they didn't have too much wine on the day of Pentecost because the Jews typically broke their fast at 10 a.m. And scholars believe that this Pentecost event happened at 9 a.m. So they weren't drunk. They weren't high. They weren't influenced by alcohol. They were influenced by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then Peter stood up with 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only, what, nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he references Joel from the Old Testament. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and preach the word. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Reluctantly, that's where I'm moving to, amen? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And then verse 31, 21, everyone who calls on my name of the Lord will be saved. And then later on in Acts chapter 2, verses, you know, 38, 36 through 38, he continues to explain. And just like we witnessed our sister Kayla get baptized into Christ, amen? But it was all nations that was there. All nations. And they understood each other. All nations were there and they understood each other. I think that's really critical in the environment that we're in that we need to strive to understand. We need to strive to understand. Not be understood entirely, but to understand. And I pray that today, God will move through myself and the Holy Spirit to give us some insight on how we should understand. Let's pray. Dear God and Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that you do and how you've done it. Thank you for saving us and thank you for attempting to save the unsaved. God, as Brother Jacoby said last week, all of us are your children. All of us are valued by you. We may be in two different situations, but we're all valued by you. God, help every nation of men and women here, Father, to try to understand one another. Father, at the depth level that you want us. Father, move me out of the way, speak through me, allow your Holy Spirit to be on fire in a powerful way. Help our hearts to be receptive in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message is, 
complete in Christ. John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I and you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that you may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and and they know you that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You know, when I was looking for a church, one of the things that I felt in my soul, even though I was sort of atheistic, is I felt the need to be around all nations. I didn't really know specifically what that looked like, right? So I would interview some of my brothers, some of my friends back in Brooklyn, and I said, okay, can I come to your church? This is when I was at a point of looking for church. I went to one church. Everybody was gray-haired. We loved the wisdom, and all of them were African-American. Amen. I visited another church, okay? The guy said, well, this is the place to be. Well, the club is the place to be, not the church, you know what I mean? It's not the church that's the place to be, you know? I mean, it's not the club, it's the club, it's not the church. And then another one, which was really striking, one of my best friends, one of my boys, man, we played ball together, basketball, you know, got to Staten Island, we'd shoot and run. I came to the church, I said, no, he must have the answer. And so we had a small group, and after the small group, I said, hey, listen, if I brought some of my friends here who happen to be white, some of my colleagues, can I bring them too? He said, well, we only work with our own kind. And so I felt so discouraged. And then one day, there was a young lady I was dating, and we were sitting down, our Trinidadian folks, eating some, you know, eating some man, you know, you know, some, some, uh, some good rice and peas and some good curry stuff and roti on a Saturday night, just enjoying ourselves. And my ex-girlfriend's sister, who I really didn't like, I could use the word can't stand in the world. I mean, we didn't like each other. Couldn't stand her. Couldn't stand her. Couldn't stand her, dude. I mean, seriously. So she's sitting there eating with us. I'm like, you're a club head. Why aren't you out of the clubs? Why aren't you partying? I just met a great church, a great people, man. They've studied the Bible with you. It's awesome. She shared her faith just by her spiritual countenance. And I said, can, can, can I come to that church? And then I came to that church, and it was like the New York City Church of Christ. It was in Queens. Scott Davis was leading the ministry. And then our one-eyed assassin Italian brother, Donald Batso, was there, man. Awesome brother. Man, that brother was awesome, man. He was one of the guys that studied the Bible with me. Irving Martinez, Hispanic brother, about four feet tall, just an amazing guy. <laughs> bro, you got to watch your eyes, bro. Make sure, bro, that you are being spiritually, man. I'm like, oh, that voice, you know what I mean? He's woman, and you got to look down, and he's looking up, and you're like, and you're convicted. I'm like, wow. You know, that smooth operator, man. Carlos Blackwood, man, smooth, man. Just a great brother in Queens. And then there were some other brothers, man, that just studied the Bible with me. And, and I had to confess, I was embarrassed, I had to confess my prejudice and my racism in front of these brothers. 
and they love me, man, like you wouldn't believe. And so it gave me a great conviction on this verse in John 17. It made me think about how we have the ability to be one. If you look over here in verse 23, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity that the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Looking at those brothers' lives and how they impacted my life, I knew I was in the right spot. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you, that you've sent me, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is like, my prayer is not for them alone. I have this ideal that we can be complete. You know, as a coach, one of the things that we look for, we don't want everybody to be a superstar. We don't need everybody to be a superstar. We need depth. We need players that can come in and say, look, you need to spell this guy and that's your role. That's your lane. And then we need another guy to come in and say, you can catch the ball. You need another guy that can block people. You need another guy that can do this. And once that's all done, you form a championship team. That's what it's been like in the last year. The discussions I've had with, with Bob and with Tom and with Jeff and some of the other brothers, Bob and Jackie are amazing, man. It's been a great time of really just connecting with them and getting to know them and getting to know all the brothers. But one of the things that is on my heart, that's been on my heart since I've become a Christian, is how is the world impacting us and our fellowship and the depth of our relationships? Are we complete and are we one? And one of the things that's happened behind the scenes that we've been working on strategically, prayerfully, trying to move the ball along three yards in a cloud of dust, being an offensive line coach, I don't mind three yards in a cloud of dust. Some brothers may want to throw a touchdown. Man, we're going to wear them down with three yards in a cloud of dust, okay? Just keep wearing them down, dude. Hit them in the mouth. They meant, oh, sorry, this is not football. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a worship service. We're preaching the word of God. My prayer is that he will be righteous during his time. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. Not for them alone. But the main thing is, every member of this church needs to feel like unconditionally they can raise up and do amazing things for God. Every race, every nationality, every social economic stage, every form of professional career you're in, whether you're black, white collar, blue collar, whatever it is, you need to feel that I can make a contribution, that we can be one. And so what Bob and Jackie and Jeff and Tom and the elders were starting to embrace is we're trying to have an initiative where, you know, people of color don't feel like, man, I'm just on the bus and still need to sit on the back of the bus, but I'm on the bus and can impact the bus that we can make a difference, that we're building this, and that we're building God's kingdom. It's, we happen to be housed in East Cobb, but we're not East Cobbers. We're disciples of Jesus. And sometimes that East Cobb, I mean, I coach at Great Atlanta Christian. We do everything we can to change the culture. I mean, we do, man, we're not going to deal with entitlement. We're not going to deal with passivity. We're not going to deal with arrogance. We're, we're just not going to do it. 
you know, you, you, if you go to a place that's condemned that we play in, you need to leave it better than when you showed up. You need to appreciate the fact that you are at a rich school and you have resources. It's a blessing from God. My wife shared it with me this morning. She's like, well, you know, all of that we have belongs to God anyway. They're all his resources. Everything we have, all of our gifts, all of our money, everything belongs to God. And so I think it's really important as we're working on this initiative with the leadership team, as we're continuing to build, that we strive not for perfection, so to speak, because we're perfect in Christ, but in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. As a football coach for many years, you know, football coaches are type A guys, all of them. Strong personalities, I mean, just intense guys. And the thing about it, I coach a great Atlanta Christian because it helps me to keep my salvation. <laughs> I can coach a, a sport that's intense, that's, that's a real challenging game, but at the same time, I can inspire in a righteous way. But one of the things the coaching staff talks about when we're sort of in our Sunday meetings and we're hammering out game plan and scheme and plays and we're kind of going through it, Internally, in the beginning of the week, what we do, okay, guys, here's what we're going to agree on. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to go. And here's, here's how it's going to go. And we're going to make a decision. And we're going to make a call. And then once we make that call, here we go. Don't turn back. We're unified. It's not like you eat on Friday night. Hey, you made a mistake. I told you so. No, it's not that. Once it's done, it's done. We're unified. We make a decision on the scheme, we're unified. We're not changing stuff in the middle of the week, we're complete. This is how we're gonna do it. Amen, coach, let's work around it, let's make an adjustment, have something in our hip pocket, but we're completely unified in mind, heart, and spirit. No one points any fingers, no one has any truces, everything is on the table, and then we move forward from there, amen? This is what we're trying to do here. This is my prayer. This is my prayer that we're not southern disciples. Bless your heart. How's it going? Love you. Come on over. You're awesome. That we're talking about the hard things. We're talking about the things that are going on outside of this door. We're talking about the stuff that comes into the church that's sort of taboo to talk about. There are political challenges. African-American men have got to be careful when they're pulled over by the police. But here's the thing, what that does, if you understand that, if you understand the challenges we face as men of color, man, the church is a haven. Just understand it. Don't, bro, how did it go today being black? You think I'm kidding? Did you get pulled over today? Did someone talk over you in a conversation today? Did someone, did someone humiliate you today? Did someone, how did it go today being a person of color? How did it go, bro, you've got a thick accent, man, I know it's tough, how did it go? How are you doing in your environment? Man, I know you're a single mom. Bro, I know that you're rich, man. I know sometimes as a rich person, it's just hard. I know being poor or blue collar, you can feel inferior sometimes. I know it's tough. 
These are the real issues that we have every day. And it's so important in Christ that we're unified. Look, I've got to tell my boys, man, guys, I, I really, 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 when you get pulled over, put your hands on the steering wheel or put your hands out the window. Don't, don't even, don't move. Just, just do this. Let them see you. Every time I drive by a police car, okay, my seatbelt on, okay, am I, am I okay? I mean, just make sure. I've been pulled over a couple times, okay, is everything okay? And so what I'm saying to you guys, all of this stuff impacts our unity to do God's work as one body in Christ. They're real issues. They're real issues. And so I want to encourage us as we continue to become a church of color, a diverse ministry, to just have the conversations about how, how's it going? Just say, hey, how's it going? I sat down, I kind of screened Jordan. You know, we hung out, played golf with Jordan Massey yesterday and kind of went to top golf. And, and Latoya, man, Latoya started hitting the ball further than me. That's just bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> bad. I don't have any hips anymore. I can't, man. I just, I just, I, awful. But anyway, I just talked about their relationship. I said, bro, how's it going being an interracial couple, man? You know, what do you face? You know, her, you know, her, her, she's African American and you're white and, some of the things he told me that Latoya faces because she's married a white man is just intense in 2017. They lead the campus ministry, but those are real things. They're real. Bro, how's it going with you? Man, her brother's vouching me, bro, I'm good, you know, amen, but I feel really bad for Latoya. Sometimes they say that she disowned her race. Some of this stuff has come from disciples. From disciples with the Holy Spirit. I remember one time a brother said, who leads a church, and it was so, so inflammatory. He said, you know, um, this is a big brother. You, if, I t if I said the city, you, you would know. He said, well, we had to move such and such to a part of town, urban, African-American town, where he can lead some people. I'm like, you got some nerve. Just because he's African-American, he's got to move to a part of town where everyone looks like him. That's not what the kingdom represents. It's a complete environment. And I think sometimes what happens to us too is, you know, systemically there's some things that get ingrained and some tracks in our brain that we've got to work through that inhibits our ability to be unified. And so when I talk to Bob, talk to Bob Keen a lot and Jim Long, we've had some intense conversations, man. Jim's trying to get it. He says, bro, you know, I'm a white man from the South, but I'm trying to learn and I've related it this way. I'm like, Bro, you've empowered me today just because you're trying. You've encouraged my heart. You've inspired me to go run through a wall for you, bro. Amen. But it's so important, brothers and sisters, to understand the depth of which Satan, as our brother prayed today, 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, the depth of which Satan is coming at us to really divide us and really how hard he's worked with his diabolical scheme in the area of race. And just really the expectation, and, and no one should be subservient. I mean, you know, I go to different environments where people expect you, know, you to be subservient. I'm a mortgage banker. Most of my clients are not on the south side in Clayton County. Most of my clients are in Sandy Springs, in Dunwoody, and, Mor and, and Morningside, and Buckhead, and East Cobb. But, you know, I get talked over in meetings all the time when I'm sitting in East Cobb because it's not expected of me to be in those environments. 
all the time. And here's the thing. This is not an indictment if you're a white brother and sister. It's not. I'm just trying to help you understand how hard it is to be complete with you when the world out there is giving me a different message. We can all get together in body and be a functionality church, but in our hearts, our hearts are like Jesus said, be careful if your heart is far from me. You got to analyze your heart. Our kids are always sitting separately in gym, in, in, in lunch cafeterias, always. And then they bring that into the church. They try to get engaged, but it's tough because the world has given them a different message. And some of our kids who are disciples and some of our kids who are going to this church will mirror up with their crowd of race because it's what the world is doing out there. I see it all the time. I coach football, I see it. And we're working on stuff like that. We address that stuff. We pair our kids up when we go on retreats or football stuff or different camps. We put them, we mix them up on purpose. An exercise that I do that would be helpful in the fellowship today. Every time we start practice, this is what I do with my offensive linemen. I say, look, here's what I want you to do before we do any workouts. I want you to say the name, find out, go to a kid you don't know. The name, where's his family from, what inspires you, what discourages you. I do that every practice. Find somebody you don't know. What's your name? Where's your family from? What inspires you and what discourages you? If you're going to go to war and be on the battlefield, you need to know how to encourage and lift that guy up. He's your partner, man. You got to say, hey, look, dude, so, oh, I can't say it to him like that, but I can say it to him like this. Because you know what? I know him. I'm inspired by him. Amen? So we've got to focus on being unified. Point two, complete love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also lost to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, God in them. This is how love is made, complete among us, among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like who? Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one whose fears is not made perfect in love. Oftentimes, really, if you look at the last scripture, that kind of says it. Oftentimes, people are just afraid. They're just afraid. Just afraid to mention it, just afraid to face it, just afraid to talk about it. The thing that I'm so grateful for with a brother like Bob Keene, Bob's not afraid. Bob has shared some stuff that's been like, no, you can't say that. The word aggressive to an African-American boy is not a good word. It's not a loving word. It's not. It's not good. It's not good. Not a good word. Not a good word at all. The word they, they are, they are so late, they are so this, is not a loving word. Can't use that word. The word boy, when it's faced with in certain connotations. Now, I had to learn this. This was a loving comment that I learned in the South when God said, okay, boy, I'm like, oh, boy, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's your boy? You know what I mean? He's like, hey, boy, boy, don't call me a boy. Do, do you know, do you understand what that means? I grew up watching Good Times. 
And so when you watch Good Times, you hear the word boy. And when Michael, who was sort of the militant kid, said, boy, is a white racist word. I'm like, whoa, whoa. But to some degree, an admonition of that word to a person of color can be very devastating to them. In this context, even in here. And so we have to really watch those things. So it's important that we love one another. And he says here in verse 11, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made complete in us. Okay, there's that word complete again. He wants to make us whole through his love. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of what? His spirit. That's the unifying call right there. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to change. Here's the things that I prayed about when I became a Christian. God, please stop me from being so impure. God, please stop me. Help, help me to not deal with porn. God, please help me not to be so angry. God, please take away the swearing and the cursing and the stuff like that. God, take it away, please. Haven't said a cuss word since I became a Christian. Have battled some of the purity stuff, but have won on a daily basis. All those things. So if we don't understand what does it mean to be complete, what does it mean, what does it mean, what does it do to you when I say certain things, just pray and God will give us the insight to encourage one another. Amen? I tell my kids at GAC, I say, look, you are not benefiting from this experience, whether you're black, white, Indian, Hispanic, Asian, whatever you are, if all your friends look like you. If you're not loving anyone else outside of your race, then you've got a problem. We can do that here. We can live separate. We can be here in mind and spirit. And there's some great deep relationships here. I'm not saying that's not the case at all. But the point is, if we're like Jesus, we have a diverse dynamic of relationships. We got relationships with rich and poor and different colors and different nations. It's the beauty of the kingdom. It's what heaven's going to be like. We've got to reach out to all nations and reflect the community and reflect what Jesus would expect from us. When you look down here in verse 16, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So the love that God has for us is what we sit in, is what we bathe in every day. It's the love he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. When we love comprehensively on the day of judgment, we're confident because we've loved like Jesus. There's no fear in love. So if we're afraid to commune with our brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, then there's fear. It's a lack of faith. And so the thing I want to encourage us with is, let's look over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Come on, clicker. Other way? That way? That way? There we go. Oh, delayed response. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The key thing, brothers and sisters, to love like Jesus is to constantly rekindle. Tom has got me going on that one. Rekindle your mind okay the Bible is clear on the empty way of life handed down to us we live in the West 
We live in a place that's very affluent, it's very classified, it's very sectioned off. For us, it's so important that we understand that we view God's mercy and we live a holy and pleasing life to him, but don't conform to the patterns that have been set forth. One of the reasons sometimes it's hard to get out of an urban environment, that's where I grew up, so that's what I relate to, is the patterns that you see on a daily basis. It's the pattern of lifestyle. It's the pattern of some people who have really struggled. And unfortunately, when I grew up, where I grew up, and this is not for all brothers and sisters, and there's some very successful people that have grown up in an urban environment, so I'm not classifying it as a complete failure. I'm just saying that in my environment where I grew up, it was hard to get out. And I had to have a mindset that I wouldn't conform. And now once I'm out, I remember my dad would always say, and he set me up, and this has always helped me as a young child, always ask questions, always be inquisitive, always get to know other situations and learn from other situations. And so it helped me to open my mind to just wanting to be diverse in my life. So diversity, even though I struggle with prejudices, still helped me because I, my mind was more open just on how he said it. And we have to look at our history as people. And we have to look at our history of how the United States of America was started. And we have to look at, you know, in some cases, it could be something as simple as this. Somebody may have grown up with a nanny, right? It could be black, it could be white, whatever the case would be, but grew up with a nanny. Say it's a white family, whatever. So as we come to the church, subconsciously, Subconsciously, if there's somebody in leadership or somebody on your level or somebody as your peer, the subconscious piece of that may make it difficult for you to see that person as a peer. Sometimes certain things create an emotional response. Like, for instance, let me give you an example in my life. Because I watched a documentary from Oprah Winfrey about Forsyth County, as a young person, probably in my 20s, one of the things I had to work on, and, not, and, 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 I, and I said, oh man, I'm in Forsyth County. We take our football teams to Forsyth County. I'm like, uh-oh, here I am, it's Forsyth County. But when I hear a thick accent from a white male, there are some mental and spiritual gymnastics that I have to work through in order to trust and embrace that brother right now, today. So what I'm saying is, praise God, the Spirit of God, I can see the Spirit working in my life. And so I'm not gonna give in to that. But, you know, not picking on Ken Furlong, Ken Furlong would be one of those brothers. <laughs> hey bro, how you doing man? Wanna get some barbecue? Yeah, let's go to barbecue one, bro. Let's go, man. Be great. Amen, brother. Love you, man. Love you too, bro. But I'm just saying, do you see how that can separate? That can take away our completeness. And then you'll find yourself hanging out with all southern brothers going fishing. Or you find yourself hanging out with all black brothers going to play basketball. Or you find yourself hanging out with all this group of people because it's what you're used to. Look. Later for what we're used to when we come to the kingdom of God, amen? We need to do what God wants us to do and what God is used to and to love people comprehensively. 
And this is not an admonition. I'm sure it's going on in a lot of places, but it needs to go deeper and we need to see ourselves doing it. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I will tell you this, if we don't embrace diversity, we will never understand God's perfect will. Won't happen. Gotta embrace it, man. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I wanna, I wanna say something here. Okay, I said a lot, but I wanna say more. I, I, I want to say this in a way that's humble. I've talked to, and here's the thing, I don't know if I should classify this, and if I should, if I should say this or not, but I've had the conversation with Bob Keene. Bob, you're sort of my sounding board, bro. Our white brothers and sisters, we need you to carry our burden. We need your help. As people of color, United States of America, it's the toughest thing in the world to do. It's tough. Here's how it works. I'll give you three examples that happened in my life. Just three, recently. They happen every day, but just recently. We're going to play a school, another Christian school in Colorado. We go to play Valor Christian. <clears throat> It's sort of a home and home. At the time, we had Davis Mills, was number one quarterback in the country. He's gone to Stanford this year. And they had, uh, you know, you guys know Christian McCaffrey. Well, Dylan McCaffrey was his brother. So we had this, team, this game on TV. So behind the scenes, they had set these up because some of these coaches coached together in college and played together in college. So we go there. We get to the cafeteria. We meet all the coaches. Hey, man, coach, good to meet you. Meet this big guy. He's from California. I say, hey, coach, how you doing, man? He says, what position you coach? He says, I, I coach defensive line. Good to meet you. So what position you coach, coach? I coach offensive line. A big guy walks up, great man named Tony Gajinko. It's incredible. You, this guy is the MacGyver, okay? I've never seen a man like this guy. Seven years old, hips busted, running, jogging, going up in the woods, going up into Haiti and saving people. Guy's unbelievable. He says, hey, look. Coach Kajinko, do you help out with the offensive line? He said, no, I coach tight ends and linebackers. I said, I coach offensive line, coach. I said, coach, coach, do you help out? I said, no, coach, I'm the offensive line coach. He said, coach, he's one of the best offensive line coaches I've ever seen. Now, the reason that that gentleman, that was a big deal is because most offensive line coaches are not African-American at a private Christian school. It was hard for him to envision an African-American guy whose players are predominantly white coaching at a high net worth Christian school. It wasn't something he was used to seeing. All right, so now we're driving back from Florida. We go to our rest stop, one of these loves rest stops. So I'm really grungied up, man. I'm tired, I'm driving back with my wife. We're, in, we're right below Valdosta, sort of like North Florida. They pull up in North Florida, man. Dude. Gotta tell you, bro. He's <laughs> North Florida, man. I wasn't shaved. And uh guy says to me, young, young guy says, hey, um, say, here's my stuff, I go check out. He says, Well, don't work too hard. Well, why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? So I went back and walked out, said, honey, he said, don't work too hard. That bothered me. 
So I went back. I said, let me ask you a question. Why did you say don't work too hard? He said, uh, 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 uh. you know why he said that? Most of the truckers who pull in are people of color. I showed him at Birmingham. We got a sales conference. Sales conference was awesome. Go to Birmingham, sort of a, a retreat for our sales staff. We're all there. I lost my card. To my, well, my card stopped working because it got hooked to my phone. Beautiful, beautiful country club, beautiful place to go. So I go to the desk. The lady sees me check in, and she says, well, let me get your driver's license. You know what, by the way, let me see you say who you say you are. I said, man, why did you say that? I said, can I talk to you a second? That was offensive. You know why it was offensive? Because you gave me the card. There was no reason for you to say that. Do you understand that? Do you understand how that all worked? Another scenario at work. One of the big things for minority loan officers is to work in emerging markets. So everybody tries to pin you, pigeonhole you into a one segment of society. My sales manager says, well, listen, here's what I need you to do. I just need you to go out and originate every loan you can originate in that emerging market environment. I said, well, if I did that, I wouldn't be able to support my family. Why do I need to do that? And so being talked over in meetings, in one situation where someone said, no, you need to talk to this guy. He's got the most expensive clientele. He's doing the business. Guy never looked at me, moved my business card from the bottom, had it turned over, and then moved it to the top. Never, ever considered me as a prospect just because I'm in East Cobb having a meeting about high net worth clients. So what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, based on the political environment, based on seeing young people of color killed without... We just need you guys to help us and have great conversations with us and just feel the burden. Romans 15, 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So what I'm saying is this, just the carrying the burden is just understanding the burden. It's not, we don't want you to walk the burden, we just want you to understand the burden understand and that if it comes into this room it needs to be talked about and it's taboo for us spiritually for us spiritually to condone it a brother I really admire is Dr. Mark Ottenwell the guy's unbelievable we hung out two weeks ago at the leaders retreat it was awesome and uh, he was tired he asked me to drive him back so oh yeah I'm gonna drive you back bro I want to drive you, man. He was so tired. He drove from vacation. He had to do a presentation. He stayed up all night. He drank coffee. He says, bro, I'm going to crash my car on the road. I said, you know what, bro? I want to get with you. This guy is inspiring. He's inspiring because he's taking on the burden of the continent of Africa on his shoulders. He said, personally, I am going to help these people of Africa who can't help themselves. And what makes it awesome, I mean, I work with a lot of physicians in my field, and they make a lot of money. Some purchase seven-figure homes. It's incredible, their portfolios. It's amazing. Guy had a great job. He's from Louisiana. You know, and, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a white brother who has embraced this continent. What an exception to the rule. But he's in, when you see him, man, his heart is like he's crying. It's unbelievable. But we need that here as well. You follow me here, brothers and sisters? 
We need that here as well. We need that here as well, that we collectively will feel each other's burdens, that we'll know, okay, we're aware, we're self-conscious of it. How did it go? I mean, Jeff and I have had these conversations, man. We sat down, and if you say certain words to Jeff and I, we can look at each other and start crying because it's still in the heart. It hurts. There's nothing you can do about it, but live through it. Now, I'm not asking, this is not a affirmative action, civil rights message. I'm asking us to love like Jesus loved. That's what I'm asking us to do. That's what I'm asking. Don't get defensive. Don't leave. Please. Don't go anywhere. Just love like Jesus loved. Last point, complete forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile, catalyso, catalogay, both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Complete forgiveness destroyed the barrier. You know, it's interesting, and I may have misinterpreted this, and this may be a great question to talk to Brother Jacoby about. You notice I got my mic off just like him with the clicker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The way he does it, you know, it's just... <laughs> love that guy. That guy's on Love Douglas Jacoby. Jacoby, which one? However we need to pronounce it, you know? Brothers in Brooklyn say, Jacoby, man, Jacoby's cool. You know what I mean? It's just one of those deals. But the, 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 the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility is not, I, I'm not sure if it's Jew and Gentiles. I, I, think, it's the, I think it's all of humanity. And, and I think if it's all of humanity, that means that we're all in the same boat. That means that Jesus died for every one of us and he reconciled us knowing that, as he says, one body, verse 16, to reconcile, catalyso, catalogay, that from the very beginning, God knew we would rebel, the word reconcile, and then catalogay, the verb, he would send Jesus in action to die for our sins like our sister Kayla did today, amen? So there's complete forgiveness there. He's made peace through the cross. So if the cross has been peaceful for us spiritually, then we need to be peaceful on earth. We need to forgive the way Jesus has forgiven us. Colossians 3.12 tells us that. Therefore, as God chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy, set apart, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a verse. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I will reckon that there are conversations that need to be had in this room right now. Because we live in a passive Southern environment, it's easy just to settle for status quo. It's easy. 
it's easy not to be confrontational and to some degree combative and then repent along the way. Get a third party and then help us repent. This conversation that somebody says something about your child, somebody says something about your race, somebody didn't say something, you got left out, something happened, something went wrong. Whatever the case may be, brothers and sisters, we need to forgive the way the Lord's forgiven us, amen? We need to be forgiving people. And then once we forgive, let the peace of Christ, verse 15, rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. What we try to do with our football team at GAC is we try to make them one heartbeat. One heartbeat. And if we see a guy strand from the, from, 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 and he's trying to be status quo, no, guys, let's figure out, let's resolve whatever the issue is. Let's resolve it. Be thankful. It was interesting. We went and scrimmaged Meadow Creek. Uh, we did a seven-on-seven seven with Meadow Creek. And um, the rules of engagement got a little out of control, so we kind of cut it short. Guys, we're getting after it too much. So. But one of the things our coach said afterwards, he said, look, guys, well, you guys need to be thankful for what you have. And that needs to propel you to do amazing things. Because when you're thankful for what you have, your motivation becomes pure. And he shared a story about one of the kids who was really sad who they're trying to get him through the clearinghouse. He could get a college scholarship, but they don't know who his parents are. They don't know where his parents are. And so he just tried to say, guys, be thankful for what you have. The beauty of what we have at North River is the diversity. It's an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a thing that God is pleased with. And the birth of the church, where it came from and where it's gone, you got to commend the leaders for that. Just a church that's just dynamic and continuing to learn, and Tom and Jeff and these guys, you know, Kelly and, 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 and the elders and all of you. To, man, I, I'm just so thankful to be here. This is just incredible. I mean, it's just incredible to come to North River because God has done amazing things here. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God. There's one of my favorite songs that we're going to sing as we close out. And it's a great song because I think it really completes us. And sometimes we can sing it rote. You know, if the band was here, they would drum it up, but we need to go ahead and sing it with our hearts. And the song is Alleluia. 202. And I want us to really think about when we're complete in Christ and we're unified and we're loving like Jesus and we're forgiven like Jesus, think about what these words mean to you. Lord, we sing your praises loud. Sing them to the stumbling crowd. Sing of crosses and his blood, earthquakes, darkness, and the flood. God is why we live and sing. We the servants, he the king. God is justice, God is love. God is reigning from above. Life is but a passing glance. Seeking while you have the chance. Sing of Jesus and his word. Sing until the earth is heard. Sing of judgment. Sing of grace. Sing until we see his face. All his power, all his life. Living in the church's wife. God is sovereign over the land. Nations bow at his command. We are made of naught but clay. Till we're changed on that great day. Alleluia. 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 To God be the glory. Amen. Amen.